This is Duke University. First of all, welcome to Fuqua's fourth annual day in Durham. My name is Jeff Laufenberg. I'm one of the two student coordinators for this event. Uh, Emma Browning is the other student. Uh, she and I have worked closely with Matt Nash, the Associate Director for the Center for the Advancement of Social Entrepreneurship. You all know it as CASE. Uh, it's been great to work with both of them this summer. Uh, when the three of us started planning this event back in late April, we started by creating a wish list of speakers and uh, community leaders and organizations that would come to this. And we wanted to showcase those organizations to each of you on this event and on this day. Um, now let me emphasize, this was a wish list. This was a you know, kind of pie in the sky dream list and I never thought it would actually materialize. But the fact is that it has. Um, and we've got a terrific uh, agenda for you today. And so I'm thrilled for all of us, frankly. Um, I want to thank our speakers. I want to thank our second year student volunteers who are out in the halls helping us today and who will be attending some of the bus itineraries uh, with us this afternoon. And I want to thank each of you for taking time out of your schedules uh, on the weekend to come out and share this event with us. Before I introduce our first speaker, I also want to take a moment to acknowledge the generosity of our sponsors uh, for this event, GM, Burt's Bees, and the Fox Student Center, without whom this uh, event would not have been possible. So please take a moment to thank them. <laughs> And now it is my privilege to introduce John Burness. He's the Senior Vice President for Public Affairs and Government Relations at Duke University. In this capacity, Mr. Burness is responsible for coordinating and managing communications with the university's many audiences. This includes federal, state, and local government relations, local community affairs, campus news and communications, and photographic services. He's also a great supporter of the Duke-Durham Neighborhood Partnership, of CASE, and of the Social Impact Club here at Fuqua and we're delighted that he could be with us again this year. So please join me in welcoming Mr. John Burness. You know, every time I hear that introduction, which is off my bio, I'm thinking how pleased my mother would be and how much she would know there's a lot of bull in there, um, <laughs> having, having said all that. It's wonderful to see you all here. This is a, an annual event that just gets better and better, and. Um, uh, the Fuqua School and the students in particular have just been wonderful in, in getting energy built into how Duke and Durham relate to each other. I wanted to talk a little bit about that, try to put some context on, which is that um, Durham is a really gritty community. It's a really vibrant kind of place. It, when people are upset about something, you know it. Things are on the table because of the racial makeup of the community. Racial issues are on the table all the time. Um, it isn't a plastic community in any way, shape, or form. It has fascinating challenges to deal with and more nonprofits that you can shake a stick at trying to figure out how to, how to be helpful as things go. Um, and one of the things about the Duke and Durham relationship is it, it really has evolved, I would say, in the last 15 or 20 years uh, where we are engaged in so many different partnerships as an institution with Durham and with Durham organizations. Um, and, and the traditional town gown boundaries really have been broken down here more than any place I've seen in years. Um, we have the traditional you know, zoning issues and other things that get people uh, exercised. But in the main, the relationships over the last several years have really developed in a, in a positive way. And they're built around a lot of different strategies and things the university's been doing in partnership with the city. Uh, you'll hear sometime today, or at least on one of your tours if you're doing downtown, um, you know, there's, there's almost, well, it's actually, there's more than a billion dollars worth of real estate work uh, 
uh, on the books for the next five or so years in downtown Durham alone. Uh, rehabbing of old warehouses, development of, of businesses and lofts and pl places for people to live. And Durham, uniquely within the triangle, actually has the feel of a city. Raleigh is a different kind of city because it's the state capital, but Durham really, I think those of us who've been working on these arenas for a while really see Durham as having an, an opportunity to be really a vibrant urban center with lots of culture, lots of art, lots of restaurants being formed. A new one seems to pop up all the time downtown. And they're, they're thinking about the, you know, Richard Florida's work and, and the you know, who gets attracted to what kind of areas, what are people looking for, and there's no reason that Durham cannot be the place that young people from around the country who come to work in the park or other areas go to because it's a vibrant urban area. That has not been the case for a long time, but I think it's on the books. Um, Duke has numerous partnerships with, with the city, as I suggested, perhaps none more, more visible uh, nor given a higher priority than what's called the Duke-Durham Neighborhood Partnership, this started in 1996 with President Cohan and has been expanded since President Broadhead came. It really focuses on 12 neighborhoods near the campus, the seven public schools that serve them. And the idea is rather than be spreading ourselves so thin throughout all of Durham, let's concentrate on neighborhoods where we have large numbers of our employees living. Um, we're, we're particularly attracted to the the program because it includes two of the three major low wealth communities of Durham. And we want to get our undergraduates in particular, but get people out of their skins here and recognize that there is a world beyond this gothic wonderland and where they can, they can learn and make a difference. And um, the, the program has an empowerment strategy. It assumes that the people who live in these neighborhoods know their neighborhoods a hell of a lot better than <coughs> academics or others. Um, and as they're thinking about their own future, how can we be people who are working with them to help them accomplish the goals that they identify for themselves so that they ultimately take this over? Um, I think we've raised more than $15 million in the last seven or eight years for the program. It includes a, a wide range of areas. The focus is, one is neighborhood stabilization that includes crime reduction and affordable housing. And I hope, in fact, I'm confident that during your time at Duke, you will meet a guy named Martin Eakes, uh, who is the head of self-help. Self-help uh, is located in Durham. It is probably the most aggressive affordable housing program of its, uh, in, in the country. Um, Martin is a MacArthur Genius winner. He has been the person leading the national efforts against payday and predatory lending practices. Um, he's a remarkable person and one of the more significant civil rights figures in the country. He would deny that, but the work this guy does is simply wonderful as his organization. And when we decided we wanted to get involved in affordable housing because we saw that as important for our employees, but also stabilizing some of the neighborhoods that were suffering from crime and other issues, uh, the university gave loans to his organization, the most recent one being for $4 million. And they have leveraged that, and so far I think there are 80 houses that have been constructed. There are another 70 or 80 that are on the books. These are all going to first-time homeowners in these neighborhoods and really making a difference in terms of the stability of the neighborhoods. Second era is um, youth development, K-12 education. I think we have 500 Duke students every week tutoring or mentoring in various programs we have with the seven partner schools, plus a public school, plus a charter school. Some wonderful after-school programs uh, that are 
funded under a big grant from the Kellogg Foundation. Uh, and in all of these programs, we're trying to deal with where the children are, the youth are, in their own development and construct programs around their individualized needs. Um, we're seeing a lot of progress on that. Another one is strengthening our partners. As I mentioned, Durham's got lots of nonprofit partners. Um, many of them operate on a shoestring. Um, and this is where CASE and other programs at Fuqua have been so important because they've, they've helped strengthen their board. They help train people on how you can run a nonprofit, the kinds of things you have to learn. The law school does many programs with our nonprofit partners. Uh, one of the areas that I know one of the buses is going to be going to is Southwest Central Durham. And there, a Fuqua student did a study um, of the long-term economic development potential of a sort of a block and a half area, which is the commercial sector there, that literally has driven the city. There's now been a charrette. There are new programs being established where that community is going to have access to resources to, to move on. And, and they're owning it. They're learning how you do economic development so that this is really their own, their own, but it couldn't be done without the work of the Fuqua, Fuqua School. The last one is do community engagement is the priority, which is we want our students and people at the university to be engaged as much as possible in working with Durham in different kinds of ways. I think we're up to something in the neighborhood of 35 academic and administrative departments at Duke um, are now involved in one way or another. And I'll just mention one particular program because it, it's intriguing to me. Um, and I'm sure in your ethics classes in one way or another, you will hear about, uh, not this, but about the things you need to worry about. So I'm starting with the premise that this is as close to a shakedown as I know uh, that I participated in. But for instance, we'll invite in all the contractors who've been doing the construction at Duke to what we call a leadership stewardship breakfast. And we talk to them about this program and the needs of community centers, schools, and whatever in the neighborhoods. And wouldn't it be wonderful if they got behind this Duke program and they did some pro bono work? My suspicion is we get billed for it in one way or another in the long run. I'm just a cynic in that regard. But that it really has been remarkable to watch how um, the contractors who work for Duke go in. In one case, they literally um, they put in a whole playground. Uh, they, they landscaped the whole place. They put in a basketball court at a, at a community center that didn't have anything. It had a fence that was falling down, and that was about it. Uh, in one case, we had a public school that we partnered with where if it rained, all the drain pipes filled up. Um, and the, there was no recess for three days. The teachers would be going nuts all the time. The kids were going nuts. One of our contractors came in, just dug out all the pipes, replaced the pipes. We got the, the schools to agree they'll clean them out on a regular basis. And children now can go play in their own school grounds. Um, this is replacing roofs on buildings because they have leaks. It's helping with other things. But we're constantly trying to be innovative and creative in finding partners to work with us um, to help and, and strengthen the program. And the last thing I want to say is, I really hope that during your time here at Fuqua, you will take advantage of Durham. Not only the many opportunities it has, cultural and otherwise, but become part of this community. You can make a real difference. Your predecessors have. And it's getting stronger and stronger all the time. CASE is probably the most visible program. Uh, but you know, you, there's Fuqua on board. You're involved in Habitat for Humanity with a Fuqua house. There are a variety of different things you can do when you're not cramming for tomorrow's test 
um, that will really make a difference. And at the end, you'll get as much out of it as the people you're serving. So I want to congratulate you again. Thanks for having me back, and I wish you luck today. and welcome to SICK in CASE's first event of the year. It's so great to see so many new faces. I want to thank again all the volunteers and speakers for spending one of their summer Saturdays with us. And I also want to extend a huge thank you to the Day in Durham team. Emma, Jeff, and Matt have just done such a tremendous job this summer organizing a wonderful day for us. I also wanted to thank all of you for coming. It's such an exciting time to be a business school student right now because there is so much momentum around the idea that businesses can drive sustainable and positive change. So I want to encourage everyone in this room to think really big this year and to bring your ideas and your energy to the SICK kickoff meeting, which is Tuesday at 8 o'clock right here in Janine, and consider making SICK in case a big part of your MBA experience. Thank you and have a great afternoon. Good afternoon, my name is Emma Browning and it is my pleasure to introduce to you John Replicle, President and CEO of Burt's Bees, the nation's leading national personal care business and industry leader in sustainable enterprise. Prior to joining Burt's Bees in January of 2006, Mr. Replicle spent three years at Unilever as general manager of SkinCare North America. Prior to Unilever, he spent eight years with Diageo, most recently as president of Guinness Bass Import Company and managing director of Guinness Great Britain. He began his career as a consultant with Boston Consulting Group. Mr. Replicle earned his BA from Dartmouth College where he served as president of his class and his MBA from Harvard where he graduated with distinction. He's married with four daughters who are all here today and he is an active volunteer with the humanitarian aid organization AmeriCares as well as an active supporter of Habitat for Humanity since his days in college at Dartmouth. Please join me in welcoming Mr. John Replica. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for having me. It is wonderful to be here. Uh, when uh, Emma and uh, Matt and Jeff approached me to, uh, to take part in this uh, day in Durham, uh, I, I was absolutely thrilled. Um, and as I'll share with you, it fits right in with my core values and purpose. And so I'm just so glad to have a chance to spend uh, the next hour with you uh, to talk about living purposefully and the opportunity that lies in front of all of you. You see, I sat in the same seat you're in, although it was about uh, 800 miles north of here, uh, about 16 years ago. I started uh, in 1991 at Harvard Business School, uh, a lot like you. Young, full of energy, that incredible will and spirit, a very fertile mind, right? And a big question mark, which is, what am I going to do with my life? Yeah. So what I want to do today is share a little bit of my journey, a little bit of the social journey that's going on all around us, uh, share with you a bit about Birds Bees and what we're here for and what we stand for, and hopefully begin to plant some seeds for all of you that convert that question mark into the statement that says, I am. Yeah. 
So that's, uh, that's why I'm delighted to be here. I'd also like to just take a minute to recognize some of my colleagues who joined us, uh, which is just wonderful. Thank you for coming. Paula Alexander, uh, Paula's class of 98 from Fuqua. She uh, is actually the person who set this up today. Thank you, Paula. Brian Berklich is Let's get on with it, yeah? I want to see if this technology works, right? So who am I, right? Wonderful introduction, told you a little bit about uh, the credentials I've racked up. Uh, but how do we define ourselves in this world, in this quickly changing world? I look around the room here today, it's clear we have a, a wonderful global composition, right? But what really are you going to do? How do you define yourself and how do I define myself? Who am I and what titles really matter to me? First and foremost, I'm a father. Yeah. I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a leader, I'm a dreamer, uh, and never lose your dreams. Uh, I always dream, dream. Uh, yes, I am an environmentalist. I'll share with you why I consider myself a public servant, interestingly. And ultimately, I still aspire to become a teacher. So what I see myself doing after first is going back to business school and hopefully becoming a professor at a business. That's what I'd love to do in the next chapter of my life. So that's my evolution. That's how I define myself. Yeah, I've got a lovely title called CEO, but it doesn't define me. Yeah. Um, and uh, interestingly, my life journey, I, I once thought I would be president of the United States. <laughs> then I realized I could never run for election. There were too many late nights in Dartmouth that would catch up with me. So. <laughs> So I, I had to think differently, and um, you know, what I, I thought hard about what appealed to me about that idea, and it was actually the public service side. And as CEO of Birds Bees today, I'm a public servant. I'm in a private company, but I'm doing public service through private work. And uh, it is indeed possible today to be a public servant in a private company. Okay. So, my life mission, yeah, to help myself by helping others to live their Spent a lot of time thinking about it, a lot of time working on it. I didn't have this when I started business school. I had a better inclination of what it stood for when I left. Right? Use these two things. Turn that question mark into a statement. Yeah? Determine who you are. So, <coughs> welcome to your new home. Yeah? How many of you are from uh, Durham originally? One person, two people. All right. You know, Durham, you can, you can help others, but uh, you know, you're in a new, um, a new environment, a new community. So I want to start with some tough questions for all of you. Oh my God, 12.15 on Saturday, here he goes, okay? So, why are you here? Big question, huh? 
Why are you here? Why are you on this planet? Why are you at Duke? Yeah? You wrote an application, I'm sure you wrote it so eloquently. The reason I should be a part of that class is, now forget the bowl, okay? What is the real purpose? Why are you here? What do you want out of the next 700 days you spend here? What do you want from your classmates? What are you going to contribute to the community around? Yeah? Because literally, you are coming together right now, and you are forming a new social contract with one another. Yeah? Define that. Define what your role will be. What is your new social contract? Oh my god. Saturday 12-15 social <laughs> contract. Isn't that something I learned in high school? Yes, it is. Right? Let's go back and refresh. What is a social contract? Who knows what a social contract is? Where did it all start? Come on, I got lip balm for you guys. <laughs> Social contract is the view that people's moral and political obligations are dependent on a contract or agreement before them, between them to form a society. You guys are forming a new society as the first years at Fuqua, right? You're entering a new social contract. You're also entering one with Duke, you're entering one with Durham, right? So you have to think about your new social contract. Social contract theory started with Socrates, it evolved into modern social contract theory. You may remember some of these names, Hobbes, Rousseau, Locke, right? Two treaties on government, right? Leviathan, go back and read them, they're great works, yeah? In your spare time. Um, and, and, and really, social contract theory is based on four principles. And I'm sorry if it makes it tough for you to test, but I don't know going floating back and forth. Uh, first is individual self-interest. Yeah? Which means that individuals left to their own devices will pursue their own interests, right? We are hedonistic in principle. Yeah? We are hedonistic. Law of nature, I'll come back on this one, but law of nature says you should only take what you can rightfully use, no more, no less. Yeah? I'll come back. We need to explore the law of nature. Because that principle is, uh, is in jeopardy. Social contract, therefore, is your moral and political contract. It's that agreement that binds you together and curbs that self-interest, right? And enforces the law of nature. And ultimately, it led to the formation of modern-day government, right? One body, polity, under one government, quote, body. Well, what do we do in a global world where old-fashioned political systems based on nation-states begin to not have purpose and clarity and strength in a global community. Right? They were written as boundary according to land mass. And yet, what about the air and the sea? What about global movements? Right? We're in a different world. We need to rethink the social contract. And so on that front, Let's talk about the law of nature in an age of globalization. Okay. What is the law of nature? It is exactly this. One is not allowed to take more from nature than oneself can use, thereby leaving others without enough for themselves. Pretty deep stuff. 
Because nature is given to all of mankind by God for its common subsistence, one cannot take more than his own fair share. How are we doing? Are we abiding by the law of nature? Serious question. How are we doing with the law of nature? Not very good. There you go. <laughs> 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 I got a bag full. <laughs> and I can throw it in the back row, okay? Yeah. So do we abide by it today? Right. Are the safeguards we establish upholding this principle, right? We form one body politique, right? The League of Nations, the United Nations, which were meant to be those cross-boundary organizations, right? Did they work? Are they working for us today? Are they holding us back against our individual self-interest and helping us protect the law of nature? And what happens, therefore, when the social contract breaks down? Is it gloom and doom, guys? Or is this a new opportunity, right? Fresh face. Youth, enthusiasm, willful future leaders. Is this a new opportunity? You bet it is, right? Absolutely it is. We need new forms of governance. It defines a new role for leadership, and we need to write a new social contract. You got two years to figure this out, guys. All right? So this is the opportunity in front of you. And I call it the rise of the postmodern social contract. I made this up, so I'm very proud of it, yeah? <laughs> Locke had modern social contract. Replogal created postmodern. What is this? In a, in a shrinking world with rising global and boundaryless crises and issues like SARS and AIDS and global climate change, right, we need a new form of leadership and a new form of governance, right? We need to find a new source and a new solution. And I'm going to give you a whole big idea here, right? The solution is right here in this room. The solution is, in fact, that business will be the answer. So congratulations, you didn't go to the School of Public Policy. You came to the right place. Yeah, you're not going to waste your time because business exists beyond the boundaries of politics. Think about it. It's happening today. And here's a really blow your hair back idea, right? What's the second one say? Oh, who can read? <laughs> I got a lip balm. Go ahead. Business is the most powerful force on the earth. Oh, uh, beautiful. <laughs> nice catch. How many of you believe that? Okay. About a third, maybe. Okay. I believe it. And it's happening more and more every day. Yeah? Business is going through an evolution. I'll share with you that evolution. And I want, by the time you leave Fuqua, diploma in hand, I want every one of you to believe that. And I want you to be the change for good. Because business has the potential to be the new unifying global social contract. It has the potential. I didn't say it is. It has the potential to be future state, future leaders, right? Business success, capitalism, folks, is predicated on what? Meeting the needs of people, 
I run a consumer goods business. I need to serve one master, the consumer. Capitalism is predicated on meeting consumer needs. Consumers get the ultimate vote, right? And so what are we indeed? We are a public service company. We serve the public. And we, therefore, define business leadership as the ultimate call to service. Redefine the lens by which you see business, and you'll redefine the leadership opportunity and your purpose. You guys are called to serve and to lead. And it starts today, yeah? So let's look at the dawning of social contract through business, through the lens of business. In the 1900s, right? What was it called? The rise of the Industrial Revolution. Uh, I'll be uh, very ethnocentric. Look at the US here, here. What were those people called for a lip balm? They were called what? The robber barons, you bet. Pass it on. Oh, two for you, because I didn't throw well. The robber barons. My god, what a title, robber baron. And that's exactly what they were, right? And the whole formation and the creation of wealth was at the cost of individuals. It was exploitation to its greatest degree, right? Unions became a countervailing force to hold back that individual self-interest in the violation of the law of nature. Of course, we had uh, all sorts of rise of, of, of uh, federal policy and, and governance, uh, the Sherman laws and whatnot, but unions formed. Uh, and of course, you had notably uh, the Vanderbilts, worth over $100 billion in his day. And that was his nice little home. And they had 14 of them, all like that, across the US. Anyone know what that building is called? The Biltmore. The Biltmore. Wow. Hold. <laughs> Congratulations. The Biltmore. And where is the Biltmore located? Asheville. Asheville. Yeah. Grace, where is the Biltmore? Very good. Oh, all right. I saw her hand go up. <laughs> we, we took the kids out there. It is an amazing place, and it's right here in, in your new home state. Uh, it's worth seeing. Um, but then, you know, the tide started to shift. And, and really call it mid-1900s. I won't put a date to it because it's very, uh, you can argue when it happened. But you had the emergence, the early emergence, the pre-emergence of the business social contract where the creation of wealth came at the expense of what? Other businesses. Competition, right? And what was interesting is there was still very low regard for the environmental and social impact but the exploitation came at the, at the expense of other businesses. And then what happened is leaders began to think differently about wealth and what they were gonna do and repurpose that wealth. And they passed it through retrospectively, yeah? So it was about amassing wealth and then giving back. And in fact, the room you're sitting in, I'm sure Janine or whoever he was, made a whole fortune and here he is, he gave it back to you guys later in life. He didn't do it along the way, right? Um, and witness Gates and Buffett, the new $100 billion, right? So incredible, wonderful stuff that they've done. Uh, they will really help to change the world. So business, the emergence of the new social contract, but it's retrospective, right? So how do we make it prospective? And that's what's happening today. And it is happening all across industries, right? There are leaders out there who are being prospective, 
we've got the rise of the socially conscious business, beginning with the end in mind, right? Not waiting to the end to give back. Generating wealth by sustainably serving the communities around us. That is a whole different philosophy of capitalism, is the notion that we're here to serve, and by serving, we gain wealth. It's a symbiotic relationship. Witness, I'll share with you, Patagonia. Newman's Own. Newman's Own has given back $150 million, this little company, along the way, right? And I'll share with you Burt's Bees and what we're doing. So what you're seeing now is a blurring line between business and social enterprise. Redefining the call to serve for business leadership and redefining what it means for you to be sitting in the seat today and what you're going to get out of your education here at Fuqua and what you're going to do with your life. You believe that business has the potential to be the new social contract. You believe you have the ability to influence the outcome and to move us into this socially conscious business era, right? Hey guys, I'm a capitalist. I love making profit, yeah? And I love making money, but I love doing good along the way. And you can have your cake and you can eat it too. That is the good news, okay? So, the big question mark is in front of all of you. Will you put your picture up here? What will it look like? Okay, that's your opportunity. Let's talk about what's happening. This inspires me to death. This is the mission statement for Patagonia. <coughs> Read it. That's their mission statement. Patagonia exists as a business to inspire and implement solutions to the environmental crisis. And here I thought they were a clothing company. That's a new definition, folks. That's truly awesome. And they live it, and they measure it, and they report on it, and they attract talent and leaders like you who want to be part of that. And what's happening across not only Patagonia but other companies today is this, the move from the bottom line to the triple bottom line. Who knows what the triple bottom line is? No one in the room. Ben Yacht. People, planet, and profit. There you heard. You heard it from a nine-year-old. The triple bottom line is how companies are beginning to measure themselves. People, planet, profit. And a lot of companies put them in exactly that order. You've got to do one and two to get to three. It can't be the other way around. Okay? So let's talk about Burt's Bees, the greater good, and the triple bottom line. All right? These are fun pictures. I'm a historian. I love it. This is where Burt's Bees started. That's our old bowling alley, which was our first manufacturing plant, our first store. That's our factory floor today with Burt out in front, giving the thumbs up. Here are Burt and Roxanne uh, and our purpose, and importantly, uh, Roxanne's statement. We take care of nature so we can take the best from nature. We are an earth-friendly, natural, personal care company. Right? Our mission? is we make people's lives better every day, naturally. That's our purpose. That's our mission as a company. Our culture, we have, many companies have mission statements. We have a culture statement as well. And it's fundamental, and it is simple. We care. And 
supporting our business mission and our culture mission is our business model. And again, it's very simple, elegant simplicity, yeah? It is that we care for our consumers, our community, and our environment, okay? So what I want to do with you now is to share a little video on Burt's and show how we uh, have evolved and brought it to life. Back in the 80s, a quirky beekeeper in Maine named Bert and his friend Roxanne began selling beeswax candles and honey at the local craft fairs. It was a simple life and a happy one. When sales did well, they realized they needed a name for the company. And being humble people, they gave the credit where it was due. To the bees. Once people tried Bert's bees, they were hooked. And more importantly, they told their friends. It was the beginning of one-on-one -on -one marketing that would prove to be an effective marketing technique for the company. Burt's Bees soon outgrew their one-room schoolhouse in Maine and moved to North Carolina. The bees seemed to enjoy the warmer climate, and so did the business. Word of mouth spread quickly, and Burt's expanded the line to include lip balm and skincare products. But always following the same guidelines, the finest natural ingredients, kitchen chemistry, and at all times, earth-friendly packaging. Their mission was simple, to make people's lives better every day, naturally. One store after another became interested in selling the Happy Yellow packages, encouraged by customers who became strongly loyal to the brand. The natural ingredients appealed to a suddenly growing number of earth-conscious consumers in search of a lifestyle of health and sustainability. The small line of care products made with simple, honest ingredients like milk, honey, beeswax, and almond oil was exactly what they were looking for. Today, you can find Burt's Bees in its own hive in nearly 30,000 retailers nationwide. Not bad for two rugged pioneers from Maine. Burt's is the leader in the natural personal care product category, with 54% brand awareness and 21% brand usage. That means 40% of consumers who have heard of Burt's Bees go on to become loyal users. One of the reasons for this success is that the product does what it says. 30% of the people who use Burt's say they buy it because it just works. Honesty is another value that keeps people so loyal to the brand. They see Burt's Bees as a company that shares their values and their concerns. And the consumer wave of choosing natural personal care keeps rising. Of course, this has led to many new players entering the category, with some attempting to clone the unique magic of Burt's Bees, and others simply taking advantage of consumer confusion regarding natural care. Burt's Bees is committed to educating consumers, removing the confusion, and helping them make the smartest decisions to protect their well-being. It is why they have led the charge in creating legal guidelines and standards for natural products. All Burt's Bees products are made with at least 95% natural ingredients. They use people-friendly manufacturing and earth-friendly packaging. Look on a tube of Burt's Bees lip balm and it says right on the label, this tube contains 50% post-industrial recycled plastic. As the world goes green, people are developing a greater awareness of themselves, the environment, and the delicate balance between the two. They want a product that puts their health and well-being, as well as that of the earth, first. Naturally. So talked a bit about our, our, our mission, 
and our cultural statement, uh, this is our business model. Um, and you'll learn all about business models in the next two years. One of the best business models out there, Southwest Airlines, right? They have a business model that they publish for everyone to see and no one seems to be able to replicate it. Amazing. The power of simplicity. When you get it right, you got it right. I'm happy to give this to anyone of our competitors. This is our business model and it's got three very important principles to it. It's about health and delivering natural ingredients, both in the ingredients of what we make and the processing, the way we make it. Uh, it's about environmental sustainability throughout our operations, and it's about humanitarian well-being, both within the company and in the community around us. That's our business model. And fundamental to our business model is our relationship with everyone around us, the community around us, be they consumers, customers, the community vendors, industry, i.e. our competition, and government. We think fundamentally relationship is our point of advantage and differentiation. This is our business model. Yeah. And you know, many of you know the product. You all got a sample so you can try it. What I want to share with you today is a little bit about what we're doing on the left and the right, from the environmental sustainability and the humanitarian well-being. We've set some audacious goals for ourselves. Our goal by 2020 is to be the greenest personal care company on earth. And to do that, what we want is 100% employee engagement against that. Okay? So, how do you get 100% employee engagement? Oh, great. An answer. Ah, you hire people with the same vision. I like that. Yeah, and we do do that. Absolutely. And I'll come back to that idea in a minute. But you also educate the people in your company as to what's important and why it's important. You give them the opportunities to perform, and you give them the incentives. Every single person in Burt's Bees has exactly the same incentive policy from forklift driver right up the line. Yeah? And guess what? Everyone has their bonus tied to sustainability. Right? We measure it. We monitor it. We work together. And it's in our paycheck at the end of the year. Sustainability is part of our incentive structure. 100% natural product, 100% post-consumer recycled or biodegradable packaging. We're pioneering right now uh, that very front. We're launching uh, new packaging for our bar soaps. So instead of being wrapped in paper, it'll be wrapped in something called Terra Skin, which is actually made from stone. It's crushed stone. Pioneering, creating, we are creating markets for new forms of packaging. Carbon reduction uh, of waste uh, and green building. Carbon, 100% renewable energy. Unfortunately, uh, you're in a state uh, of North Carolina, about 90% of our power comes from uh, coal, which is incredibly filthy. Um, so what have we done in the interim? We can't get off the grid. So we've taken our 4 million kilowatt hours that we use every year, and we've bought 100% RECs, right? Renewable energy credits. So we paid the additional sum to put in the grid renewable energy from wind or solar power. Why did we do that? Why would we spend that money? It's consistent with our mission. It's the right thing to do, yeah? Sometimes you do things because they're right to do, not because they have an direct, measurable ROI. Important concept. And of course it does. 
if you walk the talk in the mission, I'll come to that. Reduce waste, zero waste. We've set a goal to create no waste. We measure our waste every day. And actually, what we believe we'll be able to do is achieve zero waste by the end of next year. Right? So we set a goal of 100% renewable energy, 100% offset this year. Next year, we think we can get there. I mean, we are zooming on this. Once you set a goal and set a focus in an organization, it's amazing what you can achieve. We believe we can be a zero waste company by the end of next year. And you'll hear a lot about green building. You already did this morning from John. Lead is something you should learn about and know. Lead is leadership in environmental uh, engineering and design. Um, it has standards, and Durham is amazing, thanks to Duke. It is one of the uh, highest lead uh, per building uh, development markets in the US today, right? Ahead of Seattle and Portland. We're going to be lead gold, and we're going to go with ISO 14001, which is the highest environmental standard. So we've set aggressive goals there. We've focused the organization behind it, and we're going after it. So that's the left-hand side. On the right-hand side, importantly, humanitarian and well-being. Now, the day in Duke, this is what it's all about. We are members of the Durham community. So what do we do about it? For us, it's about a relationship with our community. That defines the nature of our greater good business model and well-being. We are not only an earth-friendly, we're a people-friendly company that seeks to support the individual, collective, and social well-being through a mutually beneficial relationship. It is good business practice because by starting with a vibrant, healthy business and providing for the well-being of our communities, both our employees and those around us in Durham, we create a vibrant, healthy members of our wider community, which becomes reinforcing. It drives our business. So doing good leads to good results. We do it in employee care, in our benefits, our programs. We do it in humanitarian and human rights, animal rights, so we never test on animals. Uh, and humanitarian, we really make sure through our supplier code of conduct, we're looking back through the value chain to make sure that our products are sourced and made in a fair and responsible way, right? Upholding interna international human standards. And ultimately, comes down to community care. Caring in the environment in which you work, right? And what we do here uh, is we lead on several fronts, but one of them you'll know well. How many people have been out to Hope Crossing? Awesome, well done. Hope Crossing is an inspiration, uh, the first uh, low-income, green uh, community in the state of North Carolina. Hopefully, it will inspire others around the country. Uh, incredible experience to go from uh, putting up the first walls uh, to putting up the finishing touches on this home. We have impacted the lives of the Epps family. Uh, you can see Saikim is incredibly he, he can't get over uh, and can't wait to move in and be part of this. The Epps have four children. Uh, we, are, we are changing the lives of this family. And in so doing, we're changing the lives of our team. Uh, the experiences we've had out at the job site to get to know each other, to work together, bonds us together uh, in principle and in purpose. Uh, and it's been incredibly rich. Yeah. And there, next door to our house, is your beautiful house. And what you're doing for Adonis and Clementine, 
is truly awesome. Did you meet Adonis and Clementine? Aren't they neat people? I mean, phenomenal. So from a, the bottom of my heart, thank you. You've made a difference already. I can't believe what you got done in a few days. And boy, it was hot and rainy at times, huh? <laughs> so well done for persevering. Um, as our neighbor, I say welcome. We have had over 70% employee participation. Okay, looks like there was about the same here, maybe even higher. Uh, so congratulations on that front. We've contributed 1,600 hours of our time. Uh, so I want to put a challenge to you. Can you beat us? Yeah? <laughs> Come on. And to, to put, uh, put my money where my mouth is, uh, we'd like to, from all the employees at Burt's Bees, we'd like to uh, support your drive and uh, give you $1,000 in driving to your goal of building the house that Fuqua built. So uh, on behalf of Burt's. There you go. Thank well done. So much. You're, you're very welcome. So good luck with that. And, and let me tell you, um, the reason I put the challenge out there is because business school ultimately is what? It's not about what you study right, and what you learn. It's about the collection of experiences and getting out to the site and making a difference in Durham, in the community, through this and through whatever else you choose. It's that collection of experiences, both individually and collectively, that will define your time here. So enjoy that. So you say, ah, oh, yeah, John, that's great stuff. Uh, you talked about the people and the planet. Uh-huh. But what about the bottom line? And they do go in that order. And uh, we have been recognized for it. In fact. 76% of, uh, of consumers uh, that we've spoken with uh, say that they predicate some of their purchase decision based on our uh, social responsibility policy. So it's reinforcing. We've won all sorts of awards, be they beauty awards or community awards, uh, and importantly, one incredibly important demographic, college students last year, recognized Burt's Bees as the third most socially responsible brand in the country. Burt's Bees. Now, we've never spent a penny on advertising. How on earth do we get to number three? You think that's good for business? You bet it is. You bet it is. So we're incredibly proud of that. And here's our performance. 8x in eight years. How many companies do you know have grown eightfold in eight years? That's what we've done. That's when you do good, you do well. Yeah? So, a bunch of bright Fuqua students. What's the compound annual growth rate when you do 8x in eight years? Someone's going to figure this out. We've got to have one in the class, right? All right, let's do the math. When you double every other year, right? When you double every other year and you do that every year, what happens? Who's heard of the rule of 72? Ah, oh, okay. What's the rule of 72? My Boston friend, do you know? Exactly. So rule of 72 is quite simple. If you want to do quick compound annual growth rates to figure out how long things are going to take to double, divide into 72. 
And if I'm doubling every two years, what does that mean my compound annual growth rate is? Come on, someone's got to be able to figure out what 2 into 72 is. I'll ask my kids if you can't get it. Come on. 36, yay, lip balm all around. 36, that's our compound annual growth rate. 8x in eight years is a 36% CAGR sustained. And guess what we're growing at this year? 38%. We're accelerating. Doing good means doing well. Follow the rules of business. People, planet delivers profit. That is the new social contract. That's how you're going to win. That's how Burt's Bees is winning. So what does this all mean for me? Yeah, that sounds good, Burt's Bees. Nice and easy for you to say you're the CEO, right? Well, what about me? Well, it means that you have a great opportunity, you know, and that's why I'm thrilled to be here. Because literally, the new social contract requires a new form of leadership, right? The redefinition requires a redefinition of the business contract, follow the logic. The redefinition of the business contract requires a redefinition of the business leader. I hope you guys, 100% of you think you are business leaders. And therefore, the redefinition of the business leader requires a redefinition of the business leader education. Education is a collection of experiences. Your experiences are yet to be written. You get to define the future curriculum of Fuqua and the imprint you're going to have and change this university for the good for tomorrow. Okay? So, there's a new industrial revolution occurring in front of you. You are the leaders. I challenge you to rise up and seize it. You will define the postmodern social contract. It's begun. How quickly it grows is up to you. As you think about what you're going to do here, through your summer interns and beyond, you have great impact. Lead. That's what we need. We need leadership. And we need leadership that is smart here and smart here. EQ and IQ. Lead with your head and your heart. Make a difference in the communities around you. Let this day in Durham be a beginning. Yeah? Think about the impact you can have. Think globally. Act locally. Embrace the triple bottom line and redefine the, the principles of business leadership. It really is up to you. Because we are a tale of two cities. Madame Defarge is knitting right here in Durham. Yeah? On the one hand, welcome to North Carolina. It's a wonderful place. It's the eighth richest state in the nation. If it were Fortune 100, it would rank ahead of McDonald's. We have got rich coffers, right? We're rich in national treasures, parks, mountains, oceans. It's a beautiful state in so many ways. And right here, Duke. Not quite king or prince, but Duke. <laughs> is one of the richest universities in the world. Four and a half billion dollar endowment. Holy mud. That's a pretty good balance sheet, yeah? But unfortunately, folks, there's another side to it. On the other hand, North Carolina is 39th in terms of child welfare. We don't care, take care of our children. Our children are in desperate need of help. 39th in the state. That's not a proud place to be in the country. 
We have been called the Saudi Arabia waste. North Carolina imports the most waste in the country. And go visit a pig farm, friends. It's disgusting. The environmental degradation of our pig farms is just gross. The impact of hog farming, which is a staple of this, uh, of the agribusiness, is absolutely vile. We are polluting this beautiful, beautiful state. And Durham, your hometown, poorest county in the state. 20%, one out of five people you see on the street live below the poverty line. Right? Think about that. Okay? So I challenge you. Don't wait to get to business. Yeah? You've got time on your hands. Yeah? Act locally. Think about this day in Durham. Here's my challenge to you. <laughs> Learn and grow, guys. Don't study. I mean, you're totally wasting your time. If you get really anxious, I can't remember the last thing about accounting. You know? I, you know, I know there are two sides, and it's supposed to balance, right? I think that's what I got out of business school. I mean, it, go for experiences, right? Forget about grades. Do you guys get grades here? Yes. I mean, come on. We, we got one, two, and threes at Harvard. It was so funny. And 80% got threes, and 10 got twos, and uh, sorry, 80% got twos, and 10 got ones, and 10 got threes. And it was just a war to stay out of the three zone. I mean, that's basically what it was. And that was a pretty good system, because it was a two to the masses. And, and grades don't matter, right? You're not going to remember what grade you pulled in coming a managerial capitalism three years from now. It just doesn't matter, right? Rich and rewarding experiences. Greenfire over Goldman. What do I mean by that? You're going to meet Greenfire today. Greenfire is one of those companies. The Lemansky brothers are redefining and rebuilding the city of Durham. Two great guys. Um, I met Joe Lemansky at church. And You'll meet him today. He is fired up. What he and his brother are doing in this town are amaz is amazing. Um, go get an internship with Greenfire, not Goldman. Yeah? And I like Goldman Sachs, too. But you know, no, no harm. But rich and rewarding experiences. And think about net impact over net income. What is the bottom line? When you die, it's not about how much is, is in your bank account. Yeah? It's the impact you had on this place and this planet. You've all been given a gift. Yeah? Use your gifts wisely. Use them. Your gift of youth. Yeah? It's incredible. Continue to dream. Make a difference. You've got so much potential. And the world needs so much good. And you guys can change the world. Use your gift of intelligence. Your gift of time here at Fuqua. You know, spend more time in the community than on the golf course. And I know it's a beautiful course. And there'll be a lot of fun to play. But you know, let your scorecard go up on your handicap and bring it down in your community, okay? And you guys are powerful. Bond together and figure out how you're going to make a difference. So to end with Patagonia, back to Patagonia. Patagonia exists as a business to inspire and implement, right? Uh, Yvon Chouinard, who's the founder of Patagonia, he's an incredible guy. Read more about him. Go on Patagonia's website, hear what they're about. Uh, he recently said, you know what? That's a great purpose, but inspiration needs 
noise. For the longest time, Patagonia did not talk about what they were doing. He said that was a mistake. Inspiration needs noise. It needs leadership. To inspire solutions to the environmental crisis, you have to go public with your own. You have to be explicit. Yeah, what will your noise be? You've got two years to define that. You've got two years to experiment in this wonderfully safe environment. Listen to what music plays in your heart. Find your noise. Or to end with my favorite poet, Walt Whitman. Oh me, oh life, of the questions of these recurring, of the endless trains of the faithless, of cities filled with the foolish. What good amid these, oh me, oh life? Answer, that you are here, that life exists and identity, that the powerful play goes on, and you will contribute a verse. What will your verse be? Think deeply. Build, experiment, and change that question mark into an exclamation point, and go out and make a difference in this world. Thanks. Oh, a bag. Lovely. Thank you, Anna. Okay. Man manage the clock tightly. Thank you. So we have five minutes before your next scheduled departure, yeah? So we can take a couple of questions, uh, or I'm happy to stay and chat. And of course, my team is here, too. So I, I open it up to you. Ellie. Uh, you mentioned looking back at the value chain and the practices of suppliers. Yeah. Uh, we do. We're, we're really conscious about uh, engaging with uh, retailers. Uh, and we think about that on many levels. Um, and one of the fundamentals, and I talk about it with every retailer, because we're in a really unique situation at Burt's Bees where we have more demand from customers than we can supply. So we get to be choiceful, which is really awesome. Um, so our sales team is not actually a sales team. They're a no team. And they just walk around saying no or not yet. And so it, it is a, a con conversation on principles. Uh, that's how we engage. And we've got some very set principles we share with our customers. Um, and so, for example, we have been working with Walmart for the past year, uh, yet we don't sell to Walmart. Uh, we're helping them with their uh, packaging standards uh, and to really drive their sustainability platform. So we consider them a partner, yet we don't sell to them yet. So, you know, we make choices based on our principles looking back up the uh, value chain as well. Yeah. Uh, how would you recommend that a publicly held company make a transition towards more sustainable Well, I think the first thing is to, is to measure, right? Is to figure out where are you, where's your footprint heaviest uh, and start there. Um, and we, we, we have kind of sustainability in our DNA. Burton Roxanne, phenomenal out of Maine. They really were the real deal. Um, but 
we really began to accelerate what we were doing when we started to measure what our impact was. And then we picked those couple of key areas where we thought we could have the biggest impact. So focus, 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 measure, uh, and then start where it's most acute and move that. And if you can move that, you can move everything else. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, um, it's an interesting question. If, if, you, if the average customer doesn't care that much about sustainability, um, and I didn't cover a lot about the global trend, but there are two really beautiful global trends going on. One is a global trend toward personal wellness, and the other is a global trend toward environmental wellness. Uh, we happen to be at the center of those two trends, so we're very, very fortunate. Um, and those trends are indeed global. We've looked at them uh, in different markets. Uh, and there is actually a, um, a name given to that uh, type of consumer. It's called a lifestyle of health and sustainability. 40% of Japanese consumers consider them to be low-cost consumers. Um, it is just uh, spreading rapidly around the globe. So where we will start at this stage for us as a company is we'll go after those markets where that's most developed. Um, what I would suggest for those, um, uh, those companies that um, are already in those markets is to put, put your eggs uh, in the baskets where they're going to be richest served, right? It will happen over time. Uh, we, we, can't, uh, not, um, we can't continue to ignore uh, the environmental crisis we're in. Uh, it will impact every one of us. Um, it won't be long until water costs more than uh, a gallon of gasoline. Yeah. I mean, things are changing dramatically. So um, I, I think uh, a long answer to a short question, but um, I, I think it's, it's going to happen in every market. Yes? Sorry, top row, sorry. Way, way back. It's a great question. Uh, probably the answer is not enough yet. Um, it, it costs more to make Burt's Bees. You know, the uh, post-consumer recycled plastic costs more than virgin plastic. It's bizarre. It's, it, it's an inversion of kind of the supply-demand curve, but uh, hopefully that will change over time. Um, uh, probably not enough. Um, hopefully more over time. Um, uh, I don't have a simple answer to that, um, but I think that um, I think as it, as it continues to spread and evolve, um, it will move down the value price chain as well. Uh, I think so, it's a, it's a matter of time and evolution. And um, at least for us, availability of supply source at lower cost. Tough question though, good one. I think I have one more question, yeah Matt? Um, yes. I'd say, I, I'd say, it, 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 what would I say to someone who said LOAS and environmentalism was a fad? I'd say, uh, go be Rip Van Winkle. Uh, wake up in 20 years and you'll see it's, it's blossomed from, 
from a seed to an oak. Um, I, you know, how do you refute that? I don't know. Um, you, 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 you can refute it with facts and data. You know, I can share with you what percent of consumers today um, are predisposed to buying natural, for example. We've gone from a 6% household penetration of consumers buying natural to 12% in personal care. We've done analogs to map. Uh, it'll go to 25. Just look at the number of households today buying um, organic milk, for example. I mean, this thing is marching in one direction. Uh, and they're always going to be the contrarians. Um, and let them exist. But you know, taking a contrarian view will only serve to, um, to undermine their position in the long term. Um, you know, we use facts and information, but uh, frankly, we don't feel we need to prove it to anyone. We're just continued to, to go on our path because um, sometimes the path least traveled by is, uh, is the one most, uh, with the most reward. So, Thank you, guys. Uh, we're up against the time limit. I'll hang out for a few minutes. My team is up in the third row if you want to say hello to them or ask them any more questions about BERTs. And uh, uh, we look forward to your resumes for summer internships. <laughs>